I don't know how many hugs are enough, but eight isn't, so I had to get another one from Kenny. Um, by the way, Kenny, I heard a, someone asked a really well-known preacher, what do you do if you see someone falling asleep while someone's preaching? He says, I go up and wake up the preacher. So if you fall asleep, uh, that's mine. You know, when someone we care deeply about dies, and we've probably all experienced that, knowing what their last words is often very, very important. I mean, did they say, I love you? Did they give words of wise counsel? If, if our words were harsh with them right before they died and it died, it, it breaks our heart. Did they ask the loved one who was with them to do something? Um, when Jesus hung on the cross and died, we know what his last words were because of the gospel. By the way, I don't know if you've ever heard the seven last words of the church or, or you know, seven last words of the church are, we've never done it that way before, you know. Um, but, but we know the seven last words of Christ. And I was confused as a child because I thought it was seven words. It's seven statements, really. And you probably know what they were. And, and I think, you know, the apostle John is standing at the foot of the cross. The women are. I mean, this must have been etched. They're watching Jesus who's been beaten to a pulp and hanging on a cross and dying and struggling to breathe. And, and so we know he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in case... You don't know this. I think Jesus said that for more than one just feeling you know, lost in the moment. But if you know Psalm 22, the first words of Psalm 22 are, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you read Psalm 22, it says, they pierced my hands and my feet. And it says, the dogs surround me. You know what they called Roman soldiers in that day? Dogs, you know, and, and, and my bones are out of joint. And, and I think Jesus said that also so that the religious leaders would think back to Psalm 22 and realize they were doing to him what had been prophesied. He said, I thirst. He said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Oh, my goodness, what an amazing prayer. And, and I love this. He looked down at John and said, Mother, behold your son and son, your mother, that he cared about his mom in those last moments. That must have, what would that do to her heart? And today he tells the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then, of course, he says, it is finished. Um, when someone does say something right before they die, it impacts us in a powerful way. Sometimes they're not able to speak. Sometimes we have one last voicemail, right? Or, or one last text or one last email or, or maybe their voice is on our um, outgoing voicemail and we don't want to erase it so we, or we call their phone to hear it um, because we didn't know death was coming. Sometimes when I do a memorial service or celebration of life for someone who's passed, I tell people um, what I think the person would say if they could talk to us from the other side. And, and oftentimes, you know, I say they would want to say, I love you. And I think they would say, Jesus is real. Eternity is real. Please take this seriously. And, you know, in, in Ecclesiastes, God has put eternity in the hearts of men. And what I think that means is we all know there's more to life than this, but we get so busy with life, we don't think about it. But when someone passes that we care for, we stop and think about eternity. What's amazing is we not only know the last things Jesus said right before he died, we also know what he said right before he ascended to heaven. Now think about that. First the disciples watch him die and, and they're hanging on every word and it's etched into their hearts. He comes back to life. He meets with them. There's all kinds of conversations. And, and Jesus' disciple Matthew let us know 
one of the last things Jesus said to his disciples after he rose from the dead and before he ascended to heaven. You probably know it. It's in Matthew 28. It says, then Jesus came to them, to the disciples and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Luke, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts or the actions of the apostles. And Luke ends his gospel with Jesus meeting with his disciples after he's risen from the dead, explaining to them how as a Messiah he had to die But then he starts the book of Acts with what Jesus said right before he ascends to heaven. And there's a few things he said, but here's the key one I want us to focus on tonight. In Acts 1.8, you probably know it well as a church that, that, you know, supports missionaries. He said, you will receive power. He told us, I promise you, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He said, the Holy Spirit's been with you, but he's going to come on you. He's going to come in you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then he ascends to heaven. I mean, how could they forget that? It's like the, the last thing he said. Jesus shared three incredibly important commands when he was on earth. In fact, these three commands are the foundation of our whole ministry at Crossroads, There's the most important commandment. Y'all know what that is, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what I tell our church is if I'm not helping you fall more in love with God, we're failing. It doesn't matter where else we're doing it. It doesn't matter how many people are coming or how many small groups we have or, you know, and I don't know how to measure if you're falling more in love with God. The things that God esteems are very different than what man does and it's very easy to get caught up. The second One is the new commandment Jesus gave right before he died. He said, a new commandment I give, that you love one another as I have loved you. I told the men on Friday night, you know, the second command is love your neighbor as yourself. And I can deal with that one because sometimes I don't even like myself. So I don't have to like you if I have to love you the way I love myself. But if I'm supposed to love you the way Jesus loves you, but then his last command before he ascended to heaven was go and make disciples. Peter was one of the disciples who was there when Jesus spoke those words. His heart was deeply impacted by Jesus and by his words. And, and I have to tell you, I, for a moment, I thought about telling Kenny that um, because when I spoke with the man, I talked about Jesus' words. Then when I spoke this morning, I talked about Barnabas. And tonight I'm talking about Peter. I almost wanted to tell him, call it the P, B, and J weekend, you know. But um, that didn't seem very respectful. But later, Peter wrote a couple of letters to other followers of Jesus. And here are some of the words that, that, that Peter wrote. And I mean, I'm convinced that Jesus' words, especially when he died and after he rose and when he, before he went to heaven, were so etched in his heart that I think when he was writing in 1 Peter 3, that was on his heart when he wrote these words. First, and if you have a Bible, you can open to 1 Peter 3. We're going to be looking primarily at 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. It's amazing how much pastors can get out of two verses, right? But in 1 Peter, you probably know it. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, many of you know what it says. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. One word says, set apart Christ as Lord. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. The Christians in that culture were attacked, they were persecuted, they were mocked, and he said, don't give in, don't, don't give back evil for evil. You live in a way, treat people with respect so that even if they don't agree with you, they can't slander you. And um, so we're talking about this. And I think fully devoted followers of Jesus are constantly looking for opportunities to tell others about Jesus. So here's some insights from those two verses. First, true followers of Jesus have transformed hearts. True followers of Jesus have trans, our hearts, if we're really, really, truly a follower of Jesus, his Holy Spirit's in us and our hearts are changed. In 1 Peter 3.15, he says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In your, says, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. The word in Greek literally means carve out a holy place. Make Jesus the sinner, the, 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 the holy one, the one who is Lord completely in control of your heart. And I have to tell you, if we do not honor Jesus as Lord in our hearts, if Jesus doesn't fill our hearts, if it's only religion that fills our hearts, then we're not really followers of Jesus. We're simply religious people. And there's a lot of religious people in the world, and they turn most people off. We will not be sharing Christ out of deep love and respect, but we'll be sharing Christ out of religious duty or self-righteous discipline. And if we only share out of a sense of religious duty or self-righteous discipline, we'll be more concerned about winning an argument than saving a soul. Does that make sense? Um, and I think the key to every aspect of our Christian life, every single aspect, whatever it is, is falling in love with Jesus and making him Lord in our hearts. You see, um, you can do devotions without loving Jesus, but if you love Jesus, you can't get up and start the day without saying, I need to hear from you. And you can pray without loving Jesus, but if you love Jesus, you say, man, I need to hear from you every day. You can give a tithe or 20% even if you don't love Jesus, but you can't love Jesus without giving. And, and so that's what happened to the Pharisees. They, they, did, they tried to do all the right things, but their heart wasn't given to God. He even said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. If you want to wrestle more with it, what it means to set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, I'd encourage you um, to get a book. It's a booklet I found online before I came to 299, you know. It's called Christ's Heart, My Home. How many of you have, or My Heart, Christ's Home. How many of you have ever heard of it? Amazing book. And, and he starts off by talking about that he opened his heart to Jesus and, and, you know, our hearts. Here's the truth. If I wanted to know something about you and I'd never met you, I could say, you know, let me go into your house. <laughs> let me look in your living room and I'd look at the pictures on the wall and I'd maybe flip through your favorite channels on TV or look at your browser history or go in your bedroom and look in your closet and I'd know if you're a slob, you know. I, you know um, but he says that's what our hearts are like. And so he says, he draws this analogy when he writes the book and says, there's the study. When Jesus came into my heart, the first place he went was the study and he looked at the pictures on the wall. And all of a sudden I was embarrassed at some of the pictures on the wall. And he looked at the books that I was reading and, and Jesus began cleaning it up. And there's a whole lot more to it. He says, after that, we went in the dining room and the dining room is a place of all my appetites and my desires. And I began to realize my appetites and desires weren't lined up with what Jesus wanted. And he says, then I went into the living room and, and I was excited to have him in the living room because I kept that clean, right? How many of you have a living room that you never sit in, you know? And, 
and, and he said that there was a fire in the fireplace, and Jesus says, this is cozy and wonderful, and he, and he looked at me and said, I will be waiting here for you every morning by the fire so we can have conversation together before you start the day, and he says, a new Christian, I was so excited, but two or three years later, one day I was walking by the living room in a hurry to get to work and looked in and realized Jesus was sitting there, and I said, how long are you? He says, I've been here every morning, you know, where have you been? And and then he said there was the workroom or the garage, or maybe you call it your man cave if you're a guy. But Jesus went in there and he looked at everything I had in there. He says, so what are you building for the kingdom of God? And then there was the rec room where he you know, had recreation and had fun. But the one that hit me the hardest when I read it is he said, we walked by a hall closet and Jesus said, what's behind that door? And I said, you don't want to know what's behind. That's where he kept all the ugly things, you know. It's like the junk drawer or whatever. And, and Jesus said, if I'm going to be Lord in your heart, you've got to let me clean out your closet. And, um, and then it came down to transferring the title. Um, we are a culture that's very influenced by Romo, Roman Greco thinking, right? We're very into, um, if, if we want to know what someone believes, we say, tell me what you believe. And we have a conversation or an argument or a discussion. I don't know if you know this, but the Jewish people, they wouldn't ask you what you believed. They would follow you around. And if you got up in the morning and you prayed, they'd say, wow, they must believe God hears prayers because they get down and pray. They wouldn't ask you what you believe about prayer. They, you know, and, um, and this is what's amazing to me. We're supposed to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And um, a number of years ago, I did some research on this because many, many Christians love Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we ought to, you know. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, your minds. Take every thought captive to Christ. But here's what I found. The word mind is used 157 times in the Bible. The word heart is used 785 times in the Bible. That's exactly five times more. God's more deeply concerned about our hearts than our minds. If we don't have a sharp mind, that's okay. We can have a good heart. And here's what I say. If I share relevant information with someone and two people sit in a room and they both get the same information in their head, if one has an evil heart, they'll do evil things with that information. If one has a good heart, they'll do good things with that information. So we've got to learn to give our heart over to Jesus and say, you're my everything and you have control. That's the truth about every aspect of Christian life. But if you're going to be a witness, if you're going to share with others, people should sense, wow, there's something different about what motivates this person. Second, true followers of Jesus create curiosity in others. They create curiosity. He goes on and says this, always be prepared. Be ready at any moment to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now again, in that culture, Christians are very different, but he says, I'm just assuming people you work with or people you know or people you have, they, they're going to say, what is different about you? I mean, you know, when everyone else is falling apart, you're at peace. When everyone else is mad, you're praying, you know. There ought to be something about our lives that people say, what's different about you? Um, if Christ really is Lord in our hearts and if we truly love him and we're his devoted followers. I mean, people ought to say, what's different about us by how we interact in conversation? You know, why everybody else cusses? Why, why don't you cuss? And, you know, how we're willing to serve. You know, when someone needs something done, we're the first, Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be what? You know, a servant of all. And, and you know, if your friend's moving, you know, I, I saw a bumper sticker on the back of a pickup truck. It says, yes, this is my truck. No, I will not help you move. You know, that's not a great Christian attitude. Um, 
And do we treat others with kindness and respect even if we don't know them? Uh, a number of years ago, uh, my wife and I live, we're in Colorado, and I don't know if you even know this, but the, the grocery store chain in Colorado that Kroger owns is called King Supers, okay? Maybe you don't even know that. It's a mile from our house, and for a, a period of time, I was going into King Supers early uh, in the morning. I don't know why. I went in early a number of mornings in a row, and there was a man stocking the shelf with Pepsi, and I would cross paths with him. I don't, it just seemed like we crossed paths on a regular basis. And I'd say, hey, how are you? We having fun yet? And we, we didn't talk a lot. We didn't interact a bit. And about two years later, we're doing a child dedication on Mother's Day. And Steve and Carissa are there dedicating their baby. And I look down, and there's the Pepsi guy sitting with Steve and Carissa. That's what I called him, the Pepsi guy. And... Um, and after the child dedication, I went down and said, dude, you're the Pepsi guy. He says, you're the guy who always says hi. And then he said, no wonder you're so nice. You're a pastor. <laughs> and here's the thought that went through my head. What if I hadn't been nice to him? And he went to church and says, that's the guy. You know, I mean, we, I said it, I'll say it again. I probably said it in every talk. My favorite quote outside the Bible is, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Um... People ought to wonder what's different because we pray for them. I mentioned it earlier, but Kathy and I have some new neighbors that moved in, Gary and Judy. Um, Gary is a year older than me. He's had seizures from epilepsy since he was like 24. Um, Judy's a devoted wife. Uh, and, and during COVID, I said, you need something from the store? And they wanted mayonnaise and oranges. I don't know what you do with that. And so I put them on their doorstep and... And Gary falls um, because of seizures and hits his head about four different times, Kathy. We've had 911, the fire department, out in front of their house. And I don't want to interrupt them. My son-in-law is a firefighter, so I go stand across the street and watch what's happening and just pray. And Gary called one day and said, um, my wife has been sick and I have to go downtown Denver to get a test for a surgery on my brain. Would you drive me downtown? You know? And I sat for four hours and took my laptop and... Um, and then Gary said, they're going to do this, this, this procedure on the phone. And I said, Gary, this is the guy I was talking about this morning. I said, can I pray with you? And he says, well, I've never done that. I said, I'm not asking you to pray. I'm asking you to listen while I pray. And, you know, no one's ever prayed with him before. You know, you get to talk to Jesus and you can do that for others. In fact, one of the places Kathy and I do this a lot is when we go out to eat, okay? We order our food and when the server brings the food to us, on a regular basis, I've probably done this hundreds of times, I'll say, we're gonna pray for our food. Is there anything you could use prayer for? One time, the person didn't hear me right, and they thought I said, we're gonna pay for our food. Is there anything we could pay for? Um, <laughs> seriously, that happened. But, and, and, and I'll say, are you okay? And I bet 80% oh, I'm fine, or oh, that's so sweet. One time we had a, a food server, a waitress, get down on her knees and hold her hand at the end of the table and pray with us. And, you know, other times one man told us that his, his girlfriend's father or brother had been in a motorcycle accident, and we went back a month later and he was there, and I said, how's your brother, your, your girlfriend's, you know, brother? And he said, well, I broke up with her, but he's doing better, and, you know, um, but just, who does that? There's some people no one's ever said, how can I pray for you? Perhaps, and I'll tell you, here's how, if I've known someone a long time and I haven't had a chance to share Christ with them, but I know I need to, um, I will say, you know God's important to me, right? And most people would say, yeah. And I said, can I tell you why? Now, maybe 
Maybe your neighbor, maybe you could just say, you know, church is important to me, right? Yeah. Can I tell you why? I've never had anyone say, no, you can't tell me why. And I get, um, I get to, to share my story. Um, when I was in high school, I grew up in a, a strong Christian youth group and we shared faith a lot. And I remember having this image in my mind of uh, this is how wide my theological thinking was. I thought when we stand before the great white throne judgment, it would be like being at a football field and you know the throne of God would be in the center field. And, and then when we walk up on the jumbotrons, all our sins and stuff would show up. Um, and they'd read from the book of life and you know, depart from me, I never knew you. Or, and I thought, what if one of my best friends is standing in front of me and they walk up before Jesus and they look in the book of life and said, depart from me, I never knew you. And my friend turns around with tears in her eyes and said, John, why didn't you ever tell me? I didn't like that. And then I thought, what if they went up and they said, depart from me, I never knew you. And they turn around and I have tears in my eyes and I said, I wish you would have believed me, right? That's better. But then I realized, what if he says, welcome into my kingdom, my son, and they turn around and hug me and say, thank you. I mean, two out of three options are better, right? Then at least I tried. Um, and so I'll do that. I'll tell people, hey, you know, God's important to me. I, I don't do it right away. It might be after a long period of time. Um, but we need to create curiosity in other people. Uh, when I was in seminary, I went to Trinity Seminary for one year, then I finished at Bethel West in San Diego. But when I was at Trinity, I took an evangelism class, and it was different than any other class I had, because every other class, you read a book, and you wrote a paper, or you gave a talk. When this evangelism class, and it was a Campus Crusade for Christ professor, and the class was 13 weeks long, and he says, okay, here's the deal. I kid you not, he stood up and said, you need to share Jesus with a lost person once a week for 10 weeks, you need to write a paper about, you don't have to lead them to Christ, you need to write a paper about what that experience was, and if you talk to 10 people about Jesus who don't know him, you pass. And if you talk to nine people about Jesus who don't know him, you fail. So go out there and pray. I remember, I, I'm 20, I go to the pastor of the church I was at, and I said, this just seems legalistic and harsh, you know. It's like, what if I don't feel moved by God's spirit? And he said, well, what if another professor said you need to write a paper, and you get there at the end of the class, said, well, God's spirit never moved me to write the paper, and... And he said, Jesus gave us an assignment, right? Um, well, I worked really hard to think, where can I go where people actually want to talk to you? I didn't want to interrupt people in the mall with a survey who don't want to stop and talk. And knocking on doors was kind of hard. I've done some of that. And, and I realized in Illinois, they have what they call forest preserves, but they're like two or three acres of forest and they're in the middle of different communities. And I knew one nearby where I went on the weekends and stayed where the kids went to get high and get drunk. And they just hung out and talked to each other. And I had longer hair, I didn't look like a cop. And um, I went to that forest preserve, I kid you not, and I sat on the curb in the parking lot and I just prayed. And I wasn't there five minutes, a guy pulls up next to me, rolls down his driver's window and says, dude, you got some reefer I can buy? And I said, if you knew what I had, you wouldn't ask me for reefer, man. <laughs> He goes, dude, what have you got, you know? And so I said, I've got something that'll give you a high forever. It'll help you with life. And I'm three or four minutes into it. And I said, Jesus Christ came and he wants to come in here. He says, dude, the Bible don't say nothing about smoking reefer. And I said, I'm not trying to talk you out of smoking reefer. I'm trying to introduce you to Jesus. Because I figure if Jesus becomes his Lord, that'll get taken care of. Too many people sidetrack us, right? 
I didn't get to lead him to Christ, but I got to share with him. And the funny thing is, there's a man who visited um, our church from Chicago a number of years ago, gave his life to Christ, and the service went back, and he heard me tell that story, and he says, I might have been that guy. <laughs> I had an experience like that, you know, who knows? But the question is this, do people notice that we have a hope, or that we just go at life differently because of Jesus? Um, there's a lady named Romana, uh, Rebecca Manning Pippert. Did you ever read Out of the Salt Shaker? Okay. How many have ever read Out of the Salt Shaker? Really old book about evangelism. There are some. But my favorite part in the book was where she told the story where she lived in an apartment complex and she would purposely make friends with other people in the apartment complex and witness to them. And, and one day she got to lead this other gal in the apartment complex in her apartment to Christ. She was in tears. And then this gal said, I have to tell you, I mean, you are the reason I finally felt it was okay to become a Christian. She says, because I thought if you were a Christian, you had to be perfect. And she said, you're not perfect. You're not perfect, but, but, but you know Jesus. And, you know, when you have struggles, you, tell, you know, and you just need to be aware of that. Um, one of the things I've loved about being here, uh, you know, at the table Friday night, talking to the guys, I got to hear Anthony's story and Garrett's story. And guys, there are people coming to Christ in your church. Um, but Saturday at uh, the gathering, um, I sat down with Byron and with, Robbie and with Joe, and, um, and I just said, you know, how long have you known Jesus? I don't know if you ever asked people that. I mean, what, when did you get serious about Jesus? One time I said, I think I asked Robbie, it might have been you, Robbie, where I said, uh, when did you figure out who Je figured Jesus out? And he says, I'm still figuring him out. And I said, okay, so when did you get serious about Jesus? But I asked Robbie, and I was so moved because Robbie said, two or three years ago, I was going through a divorce. My life, is Robbie here? I saw him this morning. I was going through a divorce. My life was in shambles, and I've known Joe. And Joe told me he knew him when his life was a mess. And he said, I saw his life and how different it was in me. I called him up. He invited me to this church. I, came out, I got baptized last October. You know, that's awesome. You know, Celebrate those things, right? There's more rejoicing in heaven over that. Third, True followers of Jesus seize the opportunity to share. You're kind of waiting for it. You're chomping. It's not like you got the bait in the water, and when the bobber goes, you know, you yank on the, on the pole. It says, always be prepared to give an answer. So here's my question. Do you know how to share the gospel? I love, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. You are one of the most mission-oriented, wanting to see the whole world know Jesus, churches that I know. But I have had friends who gave lots of money to missions but never shared Jesus with a neighbor, okay? So if, if someone were to walk up to you and said, I think I need to become a Christian, can you help me? Would you know what to say? Would you know how to share with them? I know Kenny could help you. We, the crusade... Uh, you used to have a book called The Four Spiritual Laws. Now they call it, Would You Like to Know God Personally? I've shared that book with, with hundreds of people. It's, re, it's really simple. But you've got to seize the opportunity. I was a youth pastor. I shared this in North County. And um, I went to a conference and I got convicted. And they said, what are you doing to be, you know, grow? And I realized that um, I was teaching high school kids. But I hadn't been in high school in 10 years or more. And I thought, I don't really know what they do at school. So back then, if you were a tax-paying citizen, I don't know if it's still this way, you could ask to go and, and observe what's going on at school. You could be a student for a day. 
And so I asked to go to Vista High School. And when I showed up, they put, paired me up. And of course, they pair you up with the, biggest, the brightest student on campus. It was a female girl who was a student body president that was in all the advanced classes. And, and I would go with her from class to class and just sit in the class and listen and watch. And what was really interesting is the interaction in between classes. And you know, I got to see a girl fight. And um, you know, at lunchtime, watching how kids interact. And some of the kids from our church saw me. And, but um, one of the classes, because she was in the advanced class, there were 15 kids sitting in a circle, and it was called the theory of knowledge. And it was kind of like set up like Harvard. And by coincidence, the topic that day was, is faith a source of knowledge? So I'm sitting back, and they're all discussing this topic. And all of a sudden, the teacher says, well, we have a person of faith here. What would you like to say about that? And I, and I looked at him and I said, I don't think faith is a source of knowledge. And they all went, oh. And I said, it depends on how you define faith. If you mean by faith believing things, we all take in all the information we can and we decide what information we'll believe and what information we won't believe, okay? If you're talking about faith as a religious system, yes, there's, you know, faith is a source of knowledge. And there was a kid who knew I was a youth pastor, and I think he was waiting for his chance, and he said, well, let me ask you a question. <laughs> it was pretty hostile. I said, okay. He said, let's say I'm a Buddhist, and I believe in Buddha with all my heart, and you believe in Jesus, and you believe with Jesus with all your heart. He said, then my faith is just as valid as yours. And I said, that's not necessarily true. Everybody said, let me explain. <laughs> Um, when I went to Wheaton, um, I lived in Southern California, and every Christmas I'd fly home. And uh, one year at Christmas, I flew home on a Thursday from O'Hare Airport to, to California. And on Friday, a plane took off from O'Hare for California. An engine fell off the wing. The plane flipped over and crashed, and everyone inside died. And we had people, John, are you home? Are you on just John on that plane? And, and so what I said to the guy was this. I said... Um, when I got on the airplane I got on, I believed it would take me from Chicago to LA. I put my faith in a good airplane, and it got me there. All the people got on the plane the next day, they believed their plane was gonna get them to California, but they put their faith in a faulty airplane. And I said, it isn't how much you believe. I, I maybe have just barely enough faith. To, I might have been white knuckling it all the way, thinking, you know, but as long as I put my faith in a good airplane, I must get there. And I said, and, and you could have all the faith in the world, but if you put it in the wrong thing and it explodes, you know. And I said, I believe with all my heart Jesus is the way to eternal life, and I'm going to try to talk you to get off of your airplane and onto mine. And we'll find out when it's all over, you know, who was right. Interesting conversation. Um, so the question, you know, again is, are, are we grasping, are we prepared uh, to give an answer? Are we, have we created curiosity? Um, Campus Crusade for Christ, maybe you've shared this before, has what they call the, defi- the, the description of a successful witness. And I love it. It's real simple. How many of you have ever heard that? Okay. They said this, the description of a, faith, of a successful witness is this. Someone who takes the initiative in the power of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel of Jesus and leaves the results to God. I love that because if you go to a sales class, they say, don't let the people leave the room till they sign on the bottom line. And, and as we feel like I have to persuade you. I have to talk to you. I have to force you to figure. 
but I can leave the results. I don't change people's hearts anyway. It's the Holy Spirit. In fact, I was at a conference where another pastor who was uh, just passionate about evangelism was speaking. He said one time he was teaching class on evangelism and someone in the group raised their hand and said, have you been successful with every witnessing experience you've had? And he said, yes, I have. And she said, you mean everybody you've ever witnessed to gave their life to Christ? He says, that's not what you asked. If I tell people about Jesus, I was a success. You know, I, I did what he asked me to do, whether they give their life to to Christ or not. Um, one of the stories that when we do baptisms at Crossroads, we have people write their story of how they came to Christ. And while they stand in the water, someone else reads their story and then we baptize them. They are the most powerful service we have. And one of the stories that touched my heart the most, um, by God's grace in the last 20 years, we've had 1,170 people that have been baptized. And, but Ashley... Ashley got in the baptismal, and, and, um, and I read all the stories beforehand, but it's still, she had become, her dad was kind of a raging charismatic that turned her off, but he got cancer. She loved her dad. She'd go see him, and she said, I was with him the day he died, and right before he died, he looked at me and said, Ashley, please give Jesus one more chance. And he died. So she said, God, I don't even know if you're real, but if you are, I told my dad I'd give you a chance. <laughs> but I have to work on Sundays because I'm a pharmacist or whatever. And I got to find a church that has a Saturday night service. And by God's grace, we had one. She walked in the service and she said, I wept all the way through that service. And in her testimony, she said this, I know my dad would have died a thousand times if that's what it took for me to find Jesus. Is there anybody who feels that way about you? Um, fourth, True followers of Jesus share Jesus in a gentle and respectful way. They share Jesus in a gentle and respectful way. It says, do this with gentleness and respect, um, not with a sense of self-righteousness. You probably heard the quote, and I love it. Christianity is one beggar showing another beggar where the bread is. You know, I'm no better than you. You're no better. You know, if, if someone hadn't shown me where to find life, I wouldn't have it. Uh, we should share with gentleness and respect, not condemnation and disdain. Um, in, in 2 Timothy 2, Paul writes this, and, and I love what he says. He says, the Lord's servant. By the way, he doesn't say the pastor, okay? You're the Lord's servant, okay? I'm the Lord's The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone Able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, that they, may, uh, that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. You know, your eyes have never crossed eyes with someone that Jesus didn't die for. How dare you make them feel down? And, and they're caught in, in deception by Satan. And, and it's our job to try to reflect Jesus and share in a gentle way. Paul also said in 2 Corinthians, even if our gospel is veiled, even if we share the truth and they don't accept it, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. Um, every time I get on an airplane, I pray, Lord, if I'm supposed to talk to the person next to me, let me know. My wife loves the window seat. We fly Southwest Airlines. I get to sit in the center seat everywhere we fly. Um, and I never know who's going to sit next to me. And, and I will be honest that, that I am fleshly enough that if the person comes, sits down, I say hi, they say hi, they put in earbuds and go to sleep, I go, 
okay, I don't have to try to figure out how to witness to this person. Um, but there have been lots of different opportunities, and, and, and that's different with a stranger. But one day I sat in an airplane next to a man who was obviously from India or from Indian descent. He's reading medical journals, and I have my Bible in another book, and I say hi to him, and he says hi to me, and I said, wow, you're reading medical journals, and this was way back when stem cell research was first coming out, and he starts telling me all about stem cell, re you know, and how, reprodu how it's going to help people, and taking your own stem cells, and re-injecting them, and, and then he asked me what I did. I don't like to tell people what I do right away, because they get weird. Um, I, I, I told someone else uh, a few years ago, I'm always in the lobby saying hi to people when they come to church, and I like to say hi to everybody, and this, this couple walks in. I said, hi, I'm John, I'm the pastor, and, and the wife says, I know who you are. I said, oh, really, why? She says, because two years ago, I was playing golf at Spring Valley Golf Course with my husband, and they paired my husband and I up with you and this other guy, and I'm still mad at you. And I said, I'm sorry, what did I do? And she said, you didn't tell me you were a pastor till the 11th hole, and all I could do the rest of the round was think, what did I say the first 10 holes? You know, <laughs> and people just get weird. The other thing is, um, I actually walk up and down the aisles during worship so I can say hi to everybody I possibly can and hug them. And I remember one week I walk up and I said hi to some people and I said, hi, I'm John. And the lady looked at me like really weird, his first time. By the way, you know who the visitors are because they come early. Regular tenors come 10 minutes late. And they sit in the back on the end so if it gets weird, they can leave, you know? So... Um, I walk up and I said, hi, I'm John. And this lady looks at me really funny, like, what are you doing? And I said, I, I'm not just some weird guy who goes around saying, hi, everybody, I'm the pastor. And she literally said, oh, you're just a weird pastor who goes up and down the aisle saying hi. <laughs> um, but I'm sitting next to this doctor and he asked what I do. I tell him I'm a pastor. And then I asked him, are you religious? And he said, yes, I'm a Hindu. And I learned this, I forget who from, but I just said to him, because I'm trying to be gentle and respectful, I said, I think I know what Hindus believe. I've read about it, I've studied, but, but I didn't grow up. But would you please explain to me what you believe? So we started talking about Hinduism and how, he says, one of the things I love about Hinduism is there's so many different gods and whichever god you relate to, that's the one you can pray to. And, and, um, and I said, well, you know, What's interesting to me is it feels like, you know, even with the Greek gods, mankind keeps trying to make God in our image, like the Greek gods, right? They had affairs and they got drunk, and, and so then it's okay that I have an affair or I get drunk because my God did, or, or the Norse gods, you know, who plundered and raped because their God was the God Thor who did that. And, and I said, you know, so Hinduism, it sounds like you're trying to make gods in our image so we can justify our behavior. And Christianity says God wants to transform us into his image. And I said, every other religion in the world, as I understand it, except for Christianity, says you have to earn your way into a heaven by being good enough. You have to be reincarnated over and over until you get it right. Or you have to bow down and pray five times a day and make a spiritual Mecca to a place. You know, or you have to meditate till you transcend or... But, but Christianity is the only religion that says no matter how good you are, you'll never be good enough. The only way you get to heaven is by being humble enough to say, Jesus, I need you to be my savior. We don't get in heaven because of how good we are. We get in heaven because of how good God is. We don't get in heaven because of what we do for Jesus. We get in heaven because of what Jesus did for us. So every other religion says you have to earn your way. Christianity says you can't. And he said, well, I went to Catholic school <laughs> because Hindus believe any path is okay. And he said, I think you're right. 
Christianity is different than every religion that way. And I said, well, that's something to think about. I, I didn't get to lead him to Christ, but I'm just trying to be respectful. Tell me what you believe, and then I have a chance to share what I believe. Fifth, true followers of Jesus eliminate reasons for resistance. If we really love Jesus and we love people, we're going to try to knock down any reasons for resistance. And 1 Peter 3 says, keep a clear conscience. Be respectful and gentle. Live a godly life. Christ is Lord so that the way you live your life is different. It's above reproach. Keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Kathy and I lived in Arizona um, for almost nine years. It, we were, I was 30, we were 33 when we moved in the neighborhood, and it was one of these brand new neighborhoods, right, where we moved into our house, and a house was completed across the street two days later, and somebody else moved in the house across the street, and then a week later, someone moved in next door. We were all brand new. Our kids were the same age. My son and Adam, who lived catty corner across the street to this day, they're 35. They are best friends. Every Tuesday night, Adam's in Arizona. My son's in Iowa. They play World of Warcraft or something on the, you know, uh, my daughter and her best friend, but, but, and, and, and we ended up having a neighborhood softball team. And after we started the church, we started a church softball team. And the guy said, you should be on our team. And I said, guys, I'm going to be with you in heaven forever. I'm going to play softball with my neighbors who don't know Jesus. And um, anyway, we'd been there nine years, and I'd invited him to church. I even had one friend at the end of the street named Jay. I said, you know, would you come? We met in a movie theater because we hadn't known a building yet. And Jay said, I'll come if I can sit in the back and drink beer. And I said, Okay, bring your beer. Come sit in the back. He, he never did. Um, but I realized that with many of them, I had not had an opportunity to clearly share Christ. We're getting ready to move. Our neighborhood was so tight that like eight couples took Kathy and I out to dinner at a place called the Chop House in a separate room to say goodbye to us. And while we were at dinner, I said, you know God's important to us, right? And they said, yeah. And I said, can I tell you why? And they said, yeah. And I said, I really believe there's a heaven and I really believe there's a hell. And I wouldn't be your friend if I didn't tell you how I believe you can get to heaven. And I began sharing the gospel of Jesus and, and Jim, one of the neighbors, you know, he was uncomfortable. And so I talked about an illustration about swimming and he asked if Norma was gonna be in a bikini, you know, when they were doing that. And I mean, he tried to sidetrack me and... Um, Anyway, we shared the gospel and said, you know, you don't get in him by being good enough, you get in him by being humble enough, and if you would pray this prayer and ask Jesus in your heart, I believe you go to heaven. None of them did, um, but if they stood in front of me in line in heaven, I could say, I wish you to believe me. We moved to Colorado. My daughter, Allie, went back to visit her friend, Julie, a year or two later, and in our neighborhood, we had New Year's Eve parties and costume parties, and, and we went to all those, and... Um, they had had a costume party while we were gone, and, and Julie was doing something, so Jim said, hey, you ought to watch the video we made from the costume party, and he plugs the video in. You know, and people are laughing and joking, and it, it, it was a lot of fun for Allie, but at one point, a couple named Mark and Barb walk in, and when they walk in and they were talking, they said, hey, do you guys remember that time John Snyder told us we're all going to hell? Which is not what I said. And Allie looked at Jim, and Jim says, you know, maybe we shouldn't watch that video, um, and popped it out. But that was 25 years ago. Jim, 
who tried to sidetrack us with humor, his wife, Sue, uh, a few years ago, we were back in Arizona, we went to visit them, and she looked us in the eyes with tears, and I says, thank you for starting Sun Valley. I became drinking way too much. Sun Valley has a Celebrate Recovery program. I went there, I gave my life to Jesus. Then Barb, who was the one, you know, who said, you remember that time John Snyder told us we're all going to hell? Barb ends up with brain cancer. She had it a long time, her husband left her. We went back and visited with her more than once. She started going to Sun Valley. She gave her life to Christ before she passed away. And I'm glad we shared. Um, I wasn't gonna tell this story, but uh, Kathy uh, came to Christ, my wife, when she was 23. Nobody in her family, her grandma knew Jesus, but her dad didn't wanna talk about God. Her mom struggled, her two brothers. And I started praying with her. I mean, you pray for, the, for her mom and dad. We prayed for years. And her mom gave her life to Christ, but um, her mom died in her sleep like six weeks before her son was born. Her dad wouldn't talk about it. Um, and then her dad got cancer. We heard there something was bad. We drove from Arizona to California. We get in the hospital room five minutes before the doctor comes in and says, you've got six months to live. Kathy kicked all of us out of the room and had what she called a come to Jesus. Was that what you call it? In your face, witnessing thing with her dad. Dad, you got to think about God, man. You're getting ready to die. Um, three days before he died, in his wheelchair, coughing and choking, he prayed to give his life to Christ. And when he got done, he said, could we do that over again? I want to make sure I do that right. Her brother, Mark, this is the fun story. The first year we were married, I'm in seminary. They know I'm going to be a pastor. Um, we go to Christmas there. I said, can I read the Christmas story? And they said, sure. And I read it, but I'm looking for a chance to share the gospel, and I forget what happened. But Mark, her brother, who's a big guy, asked me a question. And I said, well, Mark, let me ask you, if you were to die tonight, do you know for sure you'd have eternal life? And his face got red, and veins started bulging out of his neck, and he clenched his fists, and he, I forget, he just got really angry. And I said, well, I just, I really believe there's a heaven. I really believe there's a heaven. I want you to go there. The next day, her dad called, and we were back home. We lived a long way from them. And her dad says, man, is Mark mad at John? He said, if John ever does that again, he's going to punch him in the face, you know. So I called Mark up because he was a long way away, and he couldn't punch me in the face. And, <laughs> and I said, Mark, I understand I upset you. He says, yeah, you upset me. I don't know how to answer spiritual questions. And, man, you put me on the spot in front of my family. And I said, Mark, I wanted you to know about Jesus. I will never bring it up again unless you want to talk about it. But I just want you to know. A number of years later, Mark gets cancer. We're at the hospital in California. We live in Arizona. Kathy does the same thing. In fact, it was funny because we're sitting there and I had not brought up God, but we're sitting there and I said, so Mark, how do you feel God fits into this? And Kathy glares at me and Mark said, God didn't do this to me. I did this to myself with smoking and drinking and I'm not mad at God. So Kathy kicks everybody out of the room and has an in-your-face, you know, witnessing thing with her brother and says, there really is a heaven, there really is a hell, I want you to be there. And, when, and Mark looked at her and says, well, I, I want to be in heaven too. And Kathy got to pray with her brother. But it was years, years later. Um, eliminate reasons for resistance. Just love people and do it with respect. I love what it says in Romans 2. Do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, 
his forbearance, his patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Not the fear of hell, but God's kindness. The story of the prodigal son, right? The son takes off and leaves, and one day he comes and says, what am I doing here? If I went home, my dad, my dad would love me. And, and, and God will love us. By the way, if you get impatient with it, like if you've come to Christ after 37 years, and you want everybody else to come to Christ, I've had people do this before. I finally figured it out, and I want my husband to do it, or I want my wife to do it. And I look at him and say, how long did it take you to figure it out? Okay, don't expect them to figure it out tomorrow, you know? I mean, have patience, but here's the truth. If you've been a Christian for three years or more, you probably don't have many non-Christian friends, but that doesn't mean you don't interact with non-Christians. So again, Kathy and I, we started this church in Arizona, and um, in 2019, um, 2018, uh, uh, probably my best friend Gary was getting married. His wife had died. He's getting remarried. He asked me to come to Arizona and be his best man while his pastor, instead of the pastor. And so we'd been out there. Now it's 2019, and uh, a girl named Sarah who went to Crossroads and Parker had moved to Arizona and was going to Sun Valley, the church that we'd started. And she contacts my daughter and says, tell your dad he has to watch the service at Sun Valley this week. So, you know, I have different time zones. I pull it up online. I'm watching it live. And they're getting ready to build their sixth campus. And people have been giving money for the capital campaign. And they're showing videos of their different campuses. And it's very moving. And it's, you know, it's great. It's awesome to see what God's doing. But I thought, why? Why am I watching this? And then they had an interview where Chad, the pastor, had three couples, I think, who'd given sacrificially to help, you know, the, the ministry grow. And he had five people in the room that were thanking them for giving so the ministry could grow. And as soon as uh, that came on, I knew I was supposed to watch. And um, we were able to capture a video of that. Um, and watch this. If it doesn't move you, it'll move me. Hi, my name is Hawana. Um, I have never been religious up until 2018. I know it was a hard year for a lot of people, but it was my worst year. And one day I went to work, just didn't even know how I was functioning that day. And these four people came into my work and uh, I gave them their food and they said, is there anything we can pray for you for? We're gonna pray before we eat. And I just lost it, I just started bawling. And they said, it's okay, you know, we'll just pray for you in general. And so they prayed, we all prayed, like literally the whole restaurant stopped, time stopped, everything just disappeared. And holding their hands and them praying with me and they invited me to Sun Valley. They said, you know, you'll find family and community and help and strength. And we did. We came here. Since then, we've been coming every Sunday. My kids are in takeover and the Sunday morning school. We've been baptized. I've made so many real friends, real connections, real family that has helped us when we didn't know where our next meal was coming. Sun Valley gave us food and gift cards when we were literally homeless. They put us up in a hotel for a week. 
Thank you all so much for giving. Thank you all so much for serving. Thank you for inviting me and my family. Thank you for being a part of my family now, a real family. I'm sorry, but I need to give you <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Father, I just want to thank you for the opportunity just to be part of that. Um, and it's, uh, it's all of us together. And so as we look to the future, I pray you'd give us wisdom. I pray that we would be faithful. And I pray that you would bring thousands more. And it's not about how big the church is. It's about each individual life. And uh, we just want to be part of that. So thank you for these guys. May we all give and serve. And may we uh, just move it forward. And uh, I look forward to thousands of more stories. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I'm going to tell you one more thing, and then I want to I want to pray for us. So in the video that you saw, you know, there were the different stories. And do you remember the woman at the end who was talking about she was a waitress, and two couples were there, and they prayed for, for her? Do you guys remember that? Yeah, it's like 10 minutes ago. You, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Her name's Helana, and uh, at the at the end of this, because um, you know we're we're just we're just talking, and then of course we edit it and all that. But at the end, you saw the woman get up and, and hug her, and so we all stood up, you know, and we hugged and we're talking, and then I prayed at the very end. But before that prayer, uh, Helana and I were talking, and I said, "Who who are the couples, you know, that prayed for you and invited you?" And, and, you know, she's crying, telling me the story. She's like, well, actually, I haven't seen them since. And I said, okay, because, you know, different locations and all that. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that Sun Valley is, is your church home, right? And so with different locations and all that, we're really kind of a, a movement that God is, is, is working through in our, in our communities. And I'm, I'm like, okay. And I said, well, do you remember their names? And, and they said, yeah, and she, she had a book there, and they, they signed it. And... Um, Two of the names were, were Ken and, and Jolene, and I know them. They go to our Gilbert location. And then the other two names were uh, John and Kathy. And I was like, John and Kathy? And she said, yeah, and of course she's crying. And she said, they, they said they helped start Sun Valley, and then she kept going, and I said, wait a minute. I said, John and Kathy Snyder? And she said, yeah. Okay. This is how cool God is. You ready? John Snyder and his wife, Kathy, helped found Sun Valley. There were two couples that moved out here in our area from Southern California, Gary and Elaine Norton. Gary has actually serves on our staff over at our Queen Creek location, and John and Kathy Snyder. John Snyder was the first pastor of Sun Valley. And on February 4th, 1990, our church will be 30 years old next year. Um, he preached the first sermon at Sun Valley. They did a little mailer and 200 people showed up in a movie theater. And here we are 29 years later. He lives in Colorado now. He was just out visiting, probably to play golf. <laughs> Goes out to dinner with friends that he's had all these years, you know, who still attend Sun Valley. And they take a moment to pray for this woman. Of course, I said, did they tip you well, too? 
And they did very well. We just invited her to our church. Her life's radically changed. And she hasn't seen them since. This reaching out has always been a part of who we are. And it will always be who God's called us to be. It's what it means to be the church. So when that happened, we've done this hundreds of times, but we knew there was a God thing going on. And I wrote Halana's name on a post-it, and it was probably nine months later, and I had no idea if I'd ever know, see Halana or hear about her or anything again. And it was like, God said, and I want you to know something. And when we met her, what really happened was he said, can we pray for you? And she says, you're going to make me cry, and she walked away. So we prayed, and we talked to her throughout the meal. And at the end of the meal, she said, I moved here 16 years ago with my husband. All my family's in Pennsylvania. My husband left me six months ago. I have two teenage daughters. She said, I don't even know what to do or where to go. And she said, yesterday, yesterday I thought, I forgot God. And I prayed yesterday for the first time and I don't know how many years. And then you walk in here and say, can we pray for you? And we prayed with her at the end of the meal. <laughs> not the beginning. Um, and here's what I want you to know. I didn't do anything pastoral. I didn't do anything theological. I didn't think anything heroic. We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything you couldn't do. And like I said, we've done this hundreds of times. That's the only story I know of. And we might not have never known that story. Um, but I'd encourage you. Just so you know, at Crossroads, um, we have what we call the circles, your circles of influence. So we have this card and circles is an acrostic and the C stands for community. And it's like, who are two neighbors you could pray for who don't know Jesus? And the I is interest. What are your hobbies? Like, are your kids in soccer? Who are two soccer parents? Or do you play golf? Or do you, you know, quilting? You know, who are two people? And then we have the R is relationships. That's friends and then coworkers and loved ones. And, and we ask everyone to write a name or two down in each category and just pray. And then on the other side, it says, identify who you'll pray for, pray for them by name three to five times a week, connect with them once a month, you know, like my neighbors, Gary and Judy, you know, share, uh, ask God's spirit to give you an opportunity to share some kind of spiritual conversation. And it could be as simple as, I know this was happening, I'm praying for you. Invite them, because your church has things, and then believe God's gonna change their lives. Christianity is one beggar showing another beggar where the bread is. We have what everybody needs, and there's thousands of people out there dying without Jesus. And I think Matthew and the other disciples had etched deep in their hearts these words from Jesus right before he left, right? Go and make disciples of all nations and in your neighborhood. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to do everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I will tell you this. More people I witness to don't give their life to Jesus than do. <laughs> but at least I told them, huh? Jesus, thank you for these people who love you, who could be doing a lot of other things on a Sunday night. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the... the thousands upon thousands of people who've heard the gospel all around the world because of them and in this community. Thank you for the stories I heard at the men's dinner and, and at yesterday as uh, we had lunch at the park and it was just moved my heart to meet three or four people who got baptized in October or recently. Thank you. Um, 
God Almighty, forgive me when I become complacent because I'm saved and, and it's maybe embarrassing or just, I'm not, I take that for granted and don't share it with others. Help these people live in such a way that other people say, what's different about you? And help them know how to bring more and more people to you in your name. Amen. 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 Thanks. Thank you, John. Let's thank him. <clears throat> Well, what an encouragement to remember always that God is at work. And when you feel that nudge to share with someone, by all means, follow the, those promptings of the Holy Spirit uh, because God wants to use you in that same way in people's lives. And you never know what God is at work doing. Uh, but when we have the opportunity to share like that, man, that, that can make all the difference in someone's life. So I want to encourage you just as a follow-up to what John said, to, to make a list of some non-Christian friends that you have, that you're in contact with on a regular basis, the relationships that you naturally have, and begin to pray for them. And the Apostle Paul uh, asked the Colossians, he said, pray that I would have an open door to share the gospel in Colossians 4. And he said, pray that I would make it clear as I should. And so, man, if that's Paul asking for prayer for open doors, then by all means, we can ask for open doors for ourselves and ask that when we have that opportunity that we'll make the gospel clear. Uh, so that's what a great challenge for all of us as we go into this week and to the rest of the summer to, to do that and watch God work through us and in the lives of the people that we love. Um, and this is what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3. He said, May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the evening and a great week.